If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Pixel Sift is proudly supported by Murdoch University School of Arts. And if you're looking for a creative degree, they might be able to help you out. If you're keen to learn more, I'll give you a URL. You know how these work. Drop this into your browser, murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. And you can find out exactly what they've got on offer. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts to check out. Or great creative degree. You can search for Murdoch University in your browser as well. Murdoch University School of Arts, proudly supporting Pixel Sift. Pixel Sift. Hello and welcome to episode 155 of Pixel Sift. It's a show dedicated to the making, the art, the process, the study of video games made in Australia and around the world. My name is Gianni Di Giovanni. I am the executive producer of Pixel Sift, and joining me tonight is my co-host, Mitch Lowe. Hello, Mitch. Hey, how are we, everybody? I'm one of two Mitches on this show. We've got two Mitches. We've got uh, two Mitches that we're both really interested to hear from. Our guest on this episode of Pixel Sift is Mitchell Clifford, who's the co-founder and lead animator at Brisbane's Five Live Studios. Thanks for joining us tonight, Mitchell. Hey, thank you for having me on. We can't wait to learn a little bit more about your game. Yes, so we'll be talking about the new game, Windbound. Let's jump into it. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Now, we're talking about Windbound. It's a, a game that's come out not that long ago, very recently, uh, made here in Australia. Uh, now, for people who haven't come across it before, Mitch, how would you describe what Windbound is? Uh, yeah, uh, Windbound is a, it's a blend of like your survival crafting games, but with uh, mixed in a bit of like your third-person adventure games uh, as well. Uh, so it takes place in um, like on, a, on an archipelago where you're, uh, shipwrecked and got a in like your typical sort of uh, survival situation, crafting and all of that. Uh, but with uh, yeah, as I said, more of a, a focus on also having like a bit of a, a narrative and everything to to take you through the world as well. Um, and being on an archipelago, uh, obviously there's islands and everything around there. So uh, in order to actually traverse your way around the world, um, you're actually craft it like you're gathering your resources to actually craft uh, a, a boat to start uh, go, going around continue to survive and hopefully get home yeah because basically when you start the game you wash up on a beach and you just need to collect all the resources you need to go 
uh, and continue onwards. Now, for people who would know Five Lives, uh, the game that you made previously that uh, everyone would probably be aware of if they're in the Australian game development scene, or, or maybe not aware that uh, this is an Australian man game, is um, Satellite Rain, and that is a very sort of dark and uh, you know cyberpunk world, and this is really bright and colourful. Why the full 180 on, on the direction? Uh, wh- how did it all come about? Um, well, there, there's a number of things. Like, for one thing, with uh, a studio of uh, of five people, like we've got, there's so many different things that we want to make. Um, obviously, we uh, all love cyberpunk, so we started with uh, with Satellite Rain. Um, but it was a number of things. Like, we after we released Satellite Rain, we actually continued to work on it for for quite a while. Uh, it was about 12 months because we we did quite a lot of stuff to it, including. Um, bringing in like, cause it was a Kickstarter originally. Uh, so we had uh, stretch goals and stuff that some of them we met, some of them we didn't. Uh, and then after it was released, we decided to go ahead and um, start uh, uh, bringing in some more of those features that we wanted to have. Uh, biggest one being multiplayer co-op. Um, so there was a lot of time to do that. And over that time, us all being uh, gamers uh, got addicted to various games over the, over the time. Uh, and one of the big ones was, uh, a lot of the studio wall got really stuck into Don't Starve. Mm. Um, obviously, very, very different type of game to Satellite Rain. Um, and so there was a few of us that got really uh, into that, but then a few of us who tried joining in, because you know what it is when everybody's playing the, playing the game together, you kind of want to uh, all play together. Um, and a few of us sort of got a little bit... Uh, uh, didn't grab us the same way just because of the... Uh, you know how you sort of get dumped into open world uh, survival sorts of games and you kind of got to just figure it out and fend for yourself. And that's great. A lot of people enjoy doing that. But sometimes uh, myself and another couple of guys in the studio also felt like we wanted to have a bit more of uh, like a a clear objective of what we wanted to do, sort of what you get in in adventure games. Um, So during the time of like supporting Satellite Rain and then (laughs) lunchtime's filled with uh, Don't Starve and other games like that, uh, we decided uh, we started sort of bouncing ideas around for how we could sort of try and find where the overlap was on that on the Venn diagram of of those sorts of games, um, and yeah, that's sort of how we started going down a different route. Can you tell us more about how Don't Starve inspired systems or gameplay in Windbound? Um, it it was more of it was a pretty high level type thing, kind of like. Um, just the the concept of uh, starting in a in an area that you uh, don't know your way around. It's all it's all uh, uh, a blank canvas essentially. Um, going around and finding all of your resources to start building up in a in a sort of dangerous sort of world. Um, there were some uh, more you know don't starve is like actually nighttime is all dangerous and everything. We we started playing around with elements like that as well, but. Um, ultimately, it ended up more just being um, the, the the broader sort of premise of um, of surviving, uh, but trying to bring in uh, that sort of um, na- narrative and clear goals and objectives and that sort of thing. It's got a really striking sort of visual style. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how you sort of developed, I guess, the language you use uh, in design for this game? Uh, yeah, so um, we looked at a lot of uh, like one of the words we used a lot early on when we uh, were not just 
coming uh talking about the art and stuff like that but just just the sort of mood and vibe that we wanted to have uh was uh not not dark and gritty like satellite rain but we we kept saying sort of whimsical if that makes sense like a um not not cartoony and crazy but that sort of uh yeah, a stylized, whimsical sort of thing. Um, things disappear with a puff of smoke rather than um, like uh, just sort of going into a bucket or it's that like sort of thing. Kind of a little bit um, Saturday morning cartoony in that sort of way. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that, but uh, not not all the way at that end of the spectrum, if that makes sense. Um, we looked a lot of uh, looked at uh, a lot of Studio Ghibli was a was a big one. Mm. I'm not. I mean, that's a that's a pretty high bar to try and hit, yeah. but. That was one of the big influences there. That's um, how we sort of got to that um, kind of uh, stylized. We, we, one thing that was we wanted to try to see if we could do, and I feel like we did a pretty good job eventually, it took some time, was uh, trying to mix that uh, stylized sort of aesthetic with uh, sort of your more modern kind of rendering techniques like uh, your physically based lighting and that sort of thing. Uh, they don't really play together that uh, that nicely because they're sort of trying to do two different things. Um, but uh, once once we've uh, experimented a bit and uh, we've managed to come across to, you'll notice that like, for instance, the characters are rendered a little bit different to the environment. Um, they've got a little bit more of a, of a cell shadery sort of look, but it's not, it's not actually like your Wind Waker style mm. uh, by any means. It's, um, there's still uh, play in there with like um, uh, like your, your metals you look look kind of like metal and um, all that sort of thing. So um, there, there's still these uh, kind of realistic uh, gradients and all that sort of thing in there. But um, yeah, it, uh, we felt that that also helped separate it a bit more from the environment. And again, in the same sort of way that you see in uh, Ghibli and uh, those types of cartoons and that sort of thing, how you've got the your characters are obviously stand out quite a lot from your um the more painterly sort of look of the of the environment. Uh, so yeah, that that was um something that we were trying to achieve, and we 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 feel pretty confident that we executed on it reasonably well. But there's always things that you want to improve. I guess that's the benefit of being a um, a game that you can update. And I know in the last couple of weeks, you've done a lot of updates uh, to the game, sort of changing some of the systems. Um, one of the things mm -hmm. we quite often hear from developers is that quite often people's um, feeling might be correct, but the way that they think about what the game is doing or what it's not doing is incorrect. Can you give us some examples about how you've sort of adjusted the game since it came out in late August? Uh, yeah, so we've... One of the things that we suspected early on, because uh, Windbound, which I, I didn't mention before, it also has like these roguelike elements to it, um, and it, it's they've been they've been there basically from day one. And but one thing that we suspected uh, could be the case is with going down this adventure type route and, and with the art style and that sort of thing, um, that it might uh, potentially. Uh, it might have some appeal to the, uh, people who aren't really normally into that sort of game. And that, that was also one of the objectives to try and like maybe get people getting a, an experience they weren't expecting. Uh, but to alleviate any sort of uh, like big shocks or anything, we added in uh, two different game modes, one that was sort of um, less, uh, let, let people 
get back into the game a bit quicker than you normally would with a roguelike. So that was uh, the survivalist mode is your typical roguelike uh, type game, uh, type mode, and uh, storyteller, um, which, yeah, eases back on, on some of those sorts of elements. But what we found when the game came out um, was, A, it seemed like a lot of the people who were, who were getting it were actually more interested in that more traditional adventure type mode. Um, and we found that we really just didn't lean into that as much as we could have. So uh, some of the updates that we've done uh, have not really done so much uh, changing the survival experience. That's pretty much the same. Um, but we've, we've gone ahead and made changes to uh, basically make that uh, the adventure mode. Uh, and we re renamed it from like story mode to adventure mode because we didn't want people to think that one's got a story and the other doesn't but they're the same sort of thing just with a few different um with different uh approaches to how your progression is handled uh yeah so we we just made it so that it's people can get back to where they were if they meet their end at the hand of one of the the predators in the world um back to where they were a bit quicker without losing so much and basically able to enjoy it a bit more like your regular adventure game Thank you for that game mode, by the way. I definitely, uh, me personally, not being that skilled of a gamer, I needed it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm the same. Like, I uh, obviously, having played this game for every day for uh, last several years now, I'm pretty good at it. Um, so I can get by on the survivalist mode just fine. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I agree. I'm, I'm the same. Like, I, I come at it uh, sort of wanting to have a more traditional adventure mode. And that's the thing, as I said, we've got five people in the studio. Um, we've got people who always play it on survivalist mode and we've got people who always play it on uh the adventure mode so um rybags 88 on twitch says it's a really pretty game a uh, really pretty looking game um <laughs> thank you one of the things that really sort of captured me and this is sort of drawing from my own experiences was the way that the sailing works in the game um and the i guess the mechanics of sailing I know it's a simplified version of it, but you did seem to really capture that feeling of what it's like uh, being on the water, managing sails and going into the wind and all of that sort of stuff. Where did the inspiration for all that come from? And what, how did you, do you have a background in that or do other people do? Um, I, I don't really have a, I don't have a background in sailing myself, uh, but uh, our, our designer, Chris, um, he was uh, drawing on some of his uh, limited experiences with going out in his, his brother's, uh, of his brother's boats and uh ending up in the water a few times um but yeah one, one of the things we wanted to do with the with the sailing because like um one of the quick comparisons people do is wind waker um which i mean totally understandable it's a stylized aesthetic out on the water and adventure games and so on um but we we didn't want it to feel like a um a, just like a motorboat in a way um we wanted to to really feel like people are dealing like they're, they're in the world you know um there's there's wind there's waves and you've got the tools to to deal with that um so we we played around with a few different uh approaches for the sailing early on um and really we didn't we landed on what we've got now pretty quickly more or less um and it took it took people a little bit of time to uh, sort of get their head around it, uh, just because I mean, obviously, if you've never been sailing, then we can't expect people to uh, know how to uh, how to properly deal with all of that. Um, but with, with a little bit of tweaking and finessing, we we landed on something that we felt 
was a pretty good representation. I'm hesitant to say realistic. Like it's, it's certainly it's not, not realistic sailing, yeah. um, but it feels right. If that if that makes sense, like it 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 feels physically like you uh, you react to the wind in a, in a believable way. Believable's believable's probably a better word for it. Hmm. It was just the way that it was kind of bucking through the waves uh, when you're going up against the wind that just sort of immediately brought that memory back for me. Um, so it was really sort of interesting to sort of see how it would, um, you know, how it kind of felt in that way. Mm, yeah. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. We um, we did a, th- there's things going on under the hood that are sort of uh, massaging it into what feels better rather than like what is what is actually realistic. Um, but I mean, that, that's the case. That's just making games. <laughs> That's just making games, isn't it? Yeah. Um, now, Mitch, we want to ask a little bit about your personal history. Can you tell us what was the, your path into game development that brought you to the point of, of making this game? Yeah, so, I mean, the whole time, like all through high school, when we were all sort of having to uh, make start making those decisions about what we wanted to do after high school, um, I knew, I didn't know that I wanted to make games specifically but I was always very interested in uh, 3D animation. Um, and so I, I, I first just started looking into how I could, how I could pursue that. Um, I ended up uh, after high school um, studying, uh, doing a degree in animation. Uh, and I was lucky enough at the time like to basically go straight out of uh, out of studying into a job at uh, Chrome Studios in Brisbane. Uh, that That's where I met actually just about everybody who I started Five Lives with. Um, and I was there for, for a few years and then I started experiencing what a lot of Australian game developers unfortunately experience is all of the closures and redundancies and all of that sort of thing that has that's sort of plagued the industry for a long time. Um, so I went from Chrome Studios. I started there as a junior. I was actually hired by, uh, who is now my boss is now one of the co-founders here at, uh, five lives. So, uh, that was, that's an interesting change in, in, uh, power dynamic. It's interesting to think about, um, the, the legacy of those studios like Chrome, um, like, uh, studio Bondi, for example, these big Australian companies that have now sort of spun off and those, some of those people kind of keep together. Um, what, what do you think the legacy of that time is for you? Um, I certainly um, learned a lot there, obviously. Like it was my first, my first proper job uh, in games. Um, something I know like, is also, I guess, a benefit of somewhere like Chrome. It was, it was really big. Like I was there during its peak and it got to... I think I mean spread across several studios. It they got to like around four hundred staff or something. It was it was pretty crazy. Um, but the the benefit of that, I guess, is uh, made lots of connections. So after the fact, after things started um, changing and people started moving around and everything, uh, uh, me not just myself but the other people here that um, started started Five Lives with. Um, already had a lot of uh, good connections with people to go ahead and um, when we needed to, when we had this idea of like, oh, we want to do a Kickstarter for a game. That's great. We know a lot of concept artists. Um, so yeah, it was, it, it, it sort of worked out. Not, 
it's it's sad like obviously when people uh, lose their jobs and everything and people a lot and unfortunately a lot of people have had to go overseas because there, there just wasn't anything here after that all these big studios just up and disappeared um and there's there's really been a resurgence since then in uh, all these really small studios like us i mean we've thankfully been we've been pretty lucky um managed to have a bit of growth um and bring on people again where we could uh i don't know if that really answers your question but yeah no i think that's that's part of the story of it isn't it you know yeah it did leave people in an interesting spot when all those studios folded and it really did look like it was the end for australian game development for a lot of companies and a lot of people in their careers so i think talking about that process of making it into 2020 uh still making games is a really really interesting one yeah, well, um, I mean, you, you mentioned Team Bondi. Um, that's a that's another place where I ended up for a short period because there was a lot after after Chrome went down. Um, again, because there were a lot of people there, um, there was uh, a lot of people then looking for work in fewer and fewer places. Um, so I was doing contract work. I went down yeah to Team Bondi and I was living in like I'm, I'm from Brisbane, but I was living in Sydney for uh, like four or five months working there on um, on La Noire, um, and then. I, I was quite surprised actually after like completing work there and the game launched and it was quite successful and everything, but yeah. And then team Bondi are no longer around. Um, and then came in and I ended up at Sega studios, Australia, which is where the five of us here that started five life studios, uh, were when, when we got the news that that was shutting down. Um, so yeah, thankfully, I mean, we were again, uh, there's been a lot of luck in our careers. Uh, we were we were lucky in that respect that they at least gave us a lot of heads up. Like they gave us a lot of warning because um, we were we were working on uh, the remake of Castle Illusion there at the time, and uh, they they gave us the news. It was a good like five months or so ahead of time. Um, so obviously that's that's a good and and, and they were as terrible as it was to be someone to like make that choice to close down the studio uh they were very accommodating with letting people uh do side projects and look for other jobs and everything in the meantime um so we use that time instead of looking for jobs like maybe a sane person would have done <laughs> uh, go ahead and spend the time putting together a kickstarter campaign there's a risk but it paid off pretty well here we are yeah as you said 2020 still making games so basically I wanted to ask about like what 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 inspires you now like even like so now you've been through all that and like um where where do you draw inspiration from we've already talked about um don't starve but what else oh um again as i said though being five of us in the studio uh well not well five founders of the studio there's more than five people here now um ideas are a plenty like between between us we uh play anything and everything under the sun so ideas are uh we get inspiration from everything we play, everything we watch. Um, yeah, we've uh, we we want to go back and like we've we've still got more things that we would uh, love to keep doing on uh, Windbound. We've got Satellite Rain is still something that we we really love, and uh, we uh, have we've had all sorts of plans and things that we want to do there. Um, Basically, when you start, you you start a studio because you want to have that sort of freedom to uh, work on the things that you want to that you personally want to work on. the The hardest thing is getting five people to agree on something. 
Is there a, a you mentioned there? You know, seeing another satellite rain. Is that in the cards, or is it always just one of those projects that you needs to wait for exactly the right time for it to happen? Uh, I mean, it's it's certainly on the cards. Like um, we we love satellite rain. Um, we we owe our existence to that game. Um, so it's it's certainly like um, we we've got <laughs> so many documents of all different types of ideas and things that we want to do uh, with with that. Just not even necessarily. It, the great thing about something like satellite rain being uh, a, a cyberpunk world is you can uh, you can do so much with that like it doesn't just have to be um uh, like strategy game it will, i mean to be fair like that that's obviously the most obvious thing to keep doing with satellite rain uh, is uh, like real-time strategy um but we've had ideas bouncing around all all over the place so um one of the, a couple of the guys have been going on about like ah oh, cool like an actual type blade runner type detective noir cyberpunk type game adventure game in there and um there's like more action RPG type Diablo type games and everything that we, we've just got so many different ideas that we would love to do um, in that world. Um, but yeah, it's it's really uh, finding the right time to do it. Now, uh, Mitch, we were checking out your Twitter and um, we I wanted to mention that uh, we were very much admiring pictures of your dog. And uh, <laughs> we, and we, we, I wanted to ask. I think it was almost a one-to-one ratio between windbound tweets we, and dog tweets. We were like, "Oh, what's what's Mitch up to right now?" We're like, "Oh, his dog is pretty cool." Um, so, <laughs> does does do things like pets and things like that um, influence your game development? Also, um, Daniel, can you put up that picture of? Yeah, we got a collage of the pictures of your dog up right now. Koji, uh, my, my boy, my fur baby Koji. And for anyone who's listening at home, we'll put a link to the, the slide as well so you can see it if you're listening after the fact, if you're not watching it live. Yeah. Yeah, Koji's a bit of a celebrity here. He comes into the office occasionally. Brilliant. And I hasn't hasn't for a little while, actually. Um, uh, and I get, uh, I get comments from other people. When's Koji coming into play again? Because <laughs> uh, we, we were just... Uh, he, he's we, honorary HR. Fantastic, because we were just on your Twitter. We we're just like, oh my god, this is yeah, this is oh, yeah. I, I, I'm not super active on there anymore, but I've got it right there in my in my bio that I'll I'll send pictures of my dog upon request. <laughs> um, close to the most photogenic dog I've seen in game development for a, a long time. Um, uh, it's so easy to take nice pictures of him. We, we, we were talking a little bit about that process of um, you know your real life um, in in and working because this year has been a very strange year for for making anything really. What's the process been Absolutely. like um, working? through developing and releasing a game in 2020 for you um yeah well i mean obviously a big chunk of it was all spent working from home which was a which was a a challenge um i mean working from home isn't something that was like foreign to us like we've got uh actually one of our programmers uh he lives down in new south wales uh actually um, and he's been with us since like early on satellite rain. So we, we've been set up for that sort of thing for a while, but it was still, uh, it was really challenging trying to be collaborative when nobody could be in the same room. Um, uh, like trying to, you know, you, you're trying to like, you have a conversation, you're just bouncing ideas around and that sort of thing. It's just so much harder to do when everybody is at home and, um, talking over Slack or whatever your communication tool is. Um, and without even the option to just like, oh, let's just, let's just meet up for an hour at lunch or something like it. Um, that, that was, that was tough. Um, but I mean, we, we managed it. It, it. What really made it tough was the fact that we were trying to do all of this during 
um, like basically our submission period trying to get builds out to um, to like all the platform holders, like the the Xbox build and the PlayStation build and Switch builds and all that sort of thing. Um, and we've only got a handful of dev kits. And when we're all here together, um, obviously people have access to everybody can sort of access the machines when they need to, but that wasn't so easy when you had to send them off to people's homes and nobody could visit them or see it. So um, it 2020 developing has been very um, a, a big change. Uh, we're, we're very glad that uh, Queensland's managed to get things under control. Um, we've got friends that we talk to down in, in Melbourne who are still having to work from home. And um, I that would be really challenging to have been for, for this much time um, to be having to having to deal with all of those challenges. Um, so uh, my heart goes out to them, um, but keep keep going. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's certainly been I hope it doesn't it's not something that becomes the norm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we do hear this but, thing that people say it's going to be the new normal, um, but I think yeah, there's only so much of, of this that people can, can handle. Um, I guess uh, one one thing we always like to, to ask developers who've been in the game for a while is the piece of advice uh, that you would give to aspiring um, game developers, uh, things that you would wish you knew when you first kicked off into this career. What would you say to, to young people starting in, in the game development industry? Um, well, I would I would say that i mean if you if you've got a game that you're making one thing that we've uh we found with windbound was uh we it took it took us some time to find our feet on what exactly windbound would be early on um like we had the broad concepts um but uh we sort of it, it, we found it was really easy to sort of get tunnel vision and focused on like just this one particular thing and uh not uh, without sort of keeping in mind the the, the big picture, um, so probably like play testing often. Um, that's a thing that uh, we there are a lot of problems we came up against in, in Windbound that uh, we found solutions for, but we would have found them a lot earlier if we had have just just taken more time to to play the game because it it's easy to feel like when you're when you've got a lot of work to do. Um, that if you just sit down and play the game, it's like, no, I've got things to do. I can't just sit here playing it, but it's, it's so important to do. Um, so uh, that, that's a thing that we uh, will definitely be doing uh, more of. Um, le- less, of an, less of an aspiring game developer thing, but uh, more just a general thing. I mentioned before, like with all launching on all these different platforms, um, we shipped Windbound on everything it was like pc xbox switch it went like even like stadia platforms like that which are brand new and we've never used before um there's a lot of things that you can do on one platform but you can't do on another and uh they're they're, they're very they can be quite uh particular about what you need to do um so it's it, it's important to be aware of all of those things um ahead of time know where you're launching i guess um well thankfully uh, we were lucky, like having having a publisher like Deep Silver helped us a lot uh, with all of the testing there. And obviously having launched a lot of games, they knew what to look for in, in that respect. Um, so they were able to point out a lot of issues for us um, before we sent them off to, to the platforms and they sent them back saying, no, you didn't do this. Um, so we, we, again, lucky. <laughs> we got lucky with that. Um, but yeah, um, 
playtesting and uh, being know, aware know of your limits what's almost required. in a way. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? Know your limitations on the platform you're releasing on. Yeah, it's not so much the limitations. Like you can mm. you can do a lot. It's just like you can't do the same things on every platform, basically. Yeah. Mm. Um, one of the suggestions that's come through, and I don't know if this is going to work into Windbound in the future, uh, but a lot of people love the idea of Koji being an NPC. In yeah, they, they want it, Mitch. <laughs> um, they want it. They want him in the game bad. Uh, some DLC doggo, or as Dark Madam V has said, dog loadable content. So <laughs> dog loadable content. They. I'm well, sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Mitch. There will, there will be no arguments here in the in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's pretty much all the time we have for tonight. Um, thank you so much, Mitch, for sharing a little bit of the process, um, telling us a little bit about your history in game development um we really appreciate you coming on the program and having a chat to us thank you very much uh, it was really good thank you for having me and so if you want to find out more about it uh, as you mentioned uh, there mitch it's on a lot of different platforms uh, but if you want to go to winboundgame.com or you can look yes. for at winbound game on twitter uh, that's the best places to, to get pointed in the right direction now pixel sift is produced um, by scott quigg sarah island fiona bartholomeus mitch lowe Daniel Ang, Adam Christo, and myself. And we wouldn't have been able to make 155 episodes of Pixel Sift if it wasn't for the support of Murdoch University. Go check them out. Tell them we sent you. And if you're keen to learn more about a creative degree, you can head to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. And you can also come join us on our Discord. We'd love to have you there. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord, where you can share your creative work, talk about topics and games and anything else. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discords. And what we and what I'd like you to do, if I can ask you a favor, uh, we need people to help share the show. So if you tell a friend, um, just grab their phone, just subscribe them to PixelSift. It's the search PixelSift. It's the big yellow icon. You can't miss it. And um, we can we know that getting getting started can be tricky, but once you start, you'll be too you love it too much to leave. Next week we'll be back uh, with an episode of Pixel Sift Plays. We'll be continuing our a play out of the Australian game moving out, uh, which I know everyone is super keen for. Uh, so that's all for this week. Thank you for joining us again, uh, Mitch. Thank you for having me. And we will catch you all again next time. Until then, have fun. See ya. Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator Hironobu Sakaguchi made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade and every level in the game is a handmade physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled.